Are black people crazy? No, I'm not talking about the kind of crazy you find on a Prince record. You know, uh, let's go crazy. No, not the kind of crazy where everybody's having a lot of fun and you kind of uh, lose your inhibitions, however, temporarily with whatever artificial help from some beverage or other substance. No, not that kind of crazy. I'm talking about the kind of crazy you find in a in a medical facility where a fella is sitting down, or a lovely lady, let's not forget the lovely ladies, talking about where they're sitting in a medical facility with a per medical professional in a white jacket. They ask them lots of questions, give them lots of tests, and at the end of that period, the person in the white jacket looks at the fella slash lovely lady and says, uh, could you wait right here just for a minute? Goes into the other room immediately orders some prescriptions, including a big dose of Thorazine, so we can drip that into the arm of the fella or lovely lady so they don't get unreasonably violent in the presence of the person diagnosing them. If you ask any black activist who's out there always talking about black victimization, white racism, that explains everything all the time, everywhere... Uh, they're going to tell you, of course, black people aren't crazy. Not crazier than white people. It's white people who are crazy. They're the ones going around shooting up people and mass shootings. Yeah, go ahead, Kyle. What do you got to say about that? Well, we all know the answer to that is 75% of the mass shooters in this country, at least, are black. Yeah, that comes from the New York Times. That comes from the Guardian over in London, much to the regret of the reporters, editors, and owners of those publications. But that is a fact. Boy, that's the one fact that fellas and lovely ladies, they just cannot get their minds around. I mean, we document that all the time. It's easy to document. I mean, if you want to test it right now, just go into your, uh, your favorite search engine and put three people shot. Four people shot. You have to use the word people because if you say three shot, you'll start getting photography results. So just see what you find. Go up to ten. Three people shot. Four people shot. Five shot. Six shots. That's people shot. Then go back and do the same thing. Three people wounded. Four people wounded. Then you're gonna have you're gonna have anywhere from fifteen to forty examples of mass shootings from all over the country. My definition is three or more. The New York Times uses four or more. Then just tell me, like, who's doing it? If the shooting happens on the south side of Chicago at 2 a.m. and the cops tell you they don't have a good description of the suspect, oh yeah, that's a black person shooting people. There are not white people roaming the streets of South Chicago hunting black people, no matter how much the national media wants us to believe that's happening every day, just like down in Brunswick, Georgia. So if you ask one of these editors or reporters or activists, and then they'll say, oh no, Collins, white people are the crazy ones. But if you ask a rep reporter for any of the black websites, especially when they're See, especially when they're doing a story about how black people need more free stuff. There's a whole genre of stories about there. The gist of the stories are black people are crazy. That's why we need more free stuff. Not to worry. 
every single one of those stories or studies always has the same always has the same excuse really high up in the article, which is, oh yeah, black people are crazy. That's pretty evident from what we're going to tell you right now, but not to worry because it's all it's all caused by white racism. I mean, wasn't it just a few months ago? Brittany Cooper, Rutgers professor. She's the one who wrote a really best-selling book about her magical superpower, her magical power, which is getting angry. It's her black girl magic power, getting angry. It was, so it was Brittany Cooper just a couple months ago. Remember, she was the one out there going, she was telling a room full of BBBW, big, beautiful black women, the reason why they are fat. She explained to them because of Trump's racism in particular, white racism in general, that causes them to release all these crazy chemicals that causes them to go into their refrigerator, freezer, and cupboards with a distressing level of regularity that causes them to gain all this weight. And it's, and it's also a chemical thing. Trump did it. White people did it. White racism does it. So... The idea that we can sit around and blame white people for pretty much everything, I mean, it's easy to find all the time, everywhere, that explains everything. And now we're getting to the mental illness part. Three stories in the newspaper, all in the same day, over the weekend, Friday and over the weekend, about fellas doing some really nasty, nasty business. Not to worry. They're not responsible. It's mental illness. Of course, Remember, I mean, everybody's seen by now or heard about by now. My guess everybody has. The 20-year-old trained boxer who was working at a nursing home. You see him on video punching the crap out of an old white man, making him all kinds of bloody. Yeah, this is the same guy on his social media pages telling the world that black people should rule the world because we are supreme. And the first day story you know, when the video came, when the video came out, I didn't even use it. Because I thought, it's a fake. This is too, I can't get my mind around how bad this is. This has to be a fake. 24 hours later, no, it was real. First day, it was like, oh my God, do you see this? Hope they kept that guy. Second day, yeah, we caught him. We're charging him with a long line of X, Y, and Z up to this and that. And he's going to go away forever. Third day, his father comes out. Goes well, yeah. He was in that. He was only reason, and the reason he was in there is because they quarantined him because he had the virus. And by the way, he's mentally ill. He's crazy. That's what they said about the uh, the famous Brunswick jogger Armand Aubrey. His parent, you know, I think he beat a couple of charges because they decided he was not mentally competent to stand trial. Isn't it weird how they get it 100% wrong? Somebody's walking around among us and they're completely detached from reality. They're completely detached from the consequences of their violent behavior. They go in front of the judge. The judge will slam the hammer down and go, okay, you know, hey, you're, you, can't, you can't stay at trial. We'll ship you off to the funny farm. 18 months later, they get out of there, stop taking their meds, and they go back to doing the same thing. If a person is that dangerous, that means they need more supervision, not less. More time in the slammer, not less. Not for their benefit, but for ours. So now we got this guy in Detroit, let it begin, the sad story of how he is a crazy person. And by the way, he's black, so we know he's crazy because of white racism. And so 
why would we stick a victim of white racism in jail? And we all understand why he was, and that wasn't the, that old white guy he beat up wasn't the only guy he attacked. Then all of a sudden, I knew this was going to happen. You know, people are now flooding the internet with all the black on senior violence videos, especially in nursing homes that we've seen over the years. There's a lot of them. And for every 10, 20, 30 black on senior violence videos we see at a nursing home, somebody will put a white person up there, old white chick roughing up an old person. So that's a black thing. Violence in se against seniors. Oh yeah, that is a black thing. Why don't we move over to Cleveland, another case of the crazies. 15-year-old kid, 15-year-old kid knocks on a door in an apartment, apartment building. Lady answers the door. She opens the door. 74-year-old white lady opens the door. And the kid, the fella, a little 15-year-old fella goes, Hey, do you have a cigarette? She looks at him and says, Oh, hi. Um, do you live in this building? That's when he, that's when he burst through the door, knocking her down, assaulting her, attacking her, until he ran away after she started screaming. So they caught up to him, they arrested him, they charged him. Then we find out that even at the age of 15, he's already got several of these kind of attacks on his record. Just not too many months ago, just a couple months ago, he was like choking some woman, I think near one of the rehab centers where he went for an earlier offense. He sees some white chick and he starts to choke her and drag her down the alley for whatever things he was going to do down there. She started screaming and he ran away. You know, the fact that the, some, the fact that an old white woman will answer the door to a 15-year-old fella she does not know means that we have to say something here we've already said before. More people have to hear it. If a, 15, if a fella is at your door asking for a cigarette, chances are he does not smoke or he's got his own cigarettes. If he asks for water, he's not thirsty. If he asks for a telephone, he's got an iPhone. If he asks for time, the time, he already knows what time it is or he doesn't care about the time. If he asks for directions to his school, yeah, he's been getting to his school for a good eight years. He knows where the school is. If he asks for $2.75 for a bus fare to go to his grandmother's funeral, his grandmother already died three years ago. And every single one of these questions and a thousand more we didn't put in there are designed for one thing, one thing only, to size you up as a target and to look at you, hear you talk, and just to kind of compute inside of his own mind on whatever feral level these computations are made to decide in his own mind is, is A, is there anything here worth taking? B, and if there's nothing worth taking, I mean, okay, I'll just go in and beat the hell out of that white person just for the hell of it. Now, am I going to be able to do that with a minimal amount of effort, a minimal amount of get, chances of getting caught? I'm not saying these calculations are correct. I'm not saying they're correctly calculating their chances of being caught. I mean, how many fellas do we see doing bad business on video? They know the cameras are there. So this kid was already determined to be Crazy. Now he's back on the streets, knocking on the doors of 74-year-old white women trying to rape them. 
Yeah, he's crazy. So that doesn't mean we let him back on the streets. No, that means we put him away for a longer period of time. I don't want to hear from you legal beagle eagles to explain to me this court decision, that court decision. No, lawyers are the reason why we're in such a jam in this country. Lawyers are the ones allowing and enabling all this stuff to happen. And it's a big joke to them. It's a point of pride for them, how they got this guy, this guilty guy off. They got that guilty guy off. I mean, if you're a lawyer and you're going to bla brag about your achievements, you can't very well brag that you, you know, this guilty guy, you know, you got, this guilty guy went to prison for 20 years. I mean, that's not your achievement. Your achievement is getting the guy that should have gone to jail, prison for 20 years, getting him off, either with a not guilty plea or with six months in the crazy room or a one-month probation sentence, all tied up into this story of white racism, black victimization. Now we go down to Biloxi, Mississippi. A month ago, a young fella down there decided he was going to walk eight miles, one reason, one reason only, so he could find a cop in Biloxi and shoot him. That's what he did. Fella killed a white cop in Biloxi. When they arrested him, took him to jail, we saw stories, we saw pictures of him, videos of him, smiling, laughing. Already the people were speculating, well, maybe the kid's kind of crazy. Now he's going through a preliminary trial. One of the cops is up there testifying about the death of his colleague, something that hit that town very hard. And the, the fella accused of doing this, he's at, he's on the, he's at the defense table. He's laughing. He's burping out loud during the proceedings. And all the reporters are sure the guy is just crazy as can be. I don't doubt that he's crazy. Don't doubt it for a minute. Of course he's crazy. What kind of person goes around shooting a cop? But just because he's crazy doesn't mean that he gets a get-out-of-jail-free card. One of my favorite videos we've ever done on this platform, it was a couple of years ago. I, I kind of went looking for it, and I couldn't find it, but I have to look one more place. I know where it is. Anyway, maybe you guys, some of you guys remember this. It's a video from a, from a jail. And all these conversations are... Okay, pro tip. If you go visit somebody in jail or if you're behind, or prison or if you're behind bars and somebody comes to visit you, I, th I don't think this applies to your lawyer, but it applies to everybody else. Those, those conversations are recorded. Ditto for phone calls. So the guy's mom, the young guy, he was in there. I think he was, I think he was accused of some pretty bad business. I don't know if, I don't remember if it was murder or not, but it was, one of those like, yeah, you're going away for a long time kind of deals. So the mom is somebody that was un kind of unidentified, took him to be the mom's boyfriend or maybe a stepfather or something like that. They're very explicitly on this audio, audio record of their conversation. She's telling her son how to, uh, two things. One, you have to start acting crazy in here in order to have any chance whatsoever of ever getting out of prison. And two, Here's how you do it. And she started giving him instructions on how to act crazy. So if you ask any of the talking heads, MSNBC, PBS, NPR, you know who I'm talking about. If you ask any of them, 
lots of black, crazy black people floating around. They're going to look at you, especially the white ones. They're going to look at you and go, oh, no, no, of course not. Lots of crazy white people too, Colin. So there's no difference. No, but if you check out the black magazines and the stories that they don't think white people are reading, HuffPo Black Voices, Essence, Grio, Root, lots of other places. Place they think it's a safe place for black people where they can really talk about things like black mental illness. They also talk about black child abuse wildly out of proportion. Now that's also caused by white racism, but it's a big thing. Come down to a chocolate city. All the public schools are violent and shitty. Been down, isn't it a pity? Doesn't seem to be a cop in the city. All around unnecessary bloodshed. Walking on the sidewalk and knocking you in the head. At night it's a scary world for every boy and girl. If you're there perchance at night, pray to God that you'll be alright. And babe, don't you know it's a pity these days are just like the nights. It's a bummer in the city, in our chocolate city. Years run by Democrats Wish we could all wipe it off the map Assaults on the handicapped Finding themselves in a booby trap Dealing dope and loitering at the bus stop Holding up the elderly at the local truck stop At night it's a scary world For every boy and girl If you're there perchance at night Pray to God that you'll be alright And babe, don't you know it's a pity These days are just like the nights It's a bummer in the city in our chocolate city Half the population's been in jail Sending our city straight down to hell I'm leaving, bid you farewell Going to a sanctuary citadel They say I'm racist in their college class But they can all kiss my big white ass At night it's a scary world For every boy and girl If you're there perchance at night Pray to God that you'll be alright And baby, don't you know it's a pity these days are just like the nights, it's a bummer in the city, in our chocolate city. But here's the, okay, so let's change gears a little bit. If somebody wanted to say, well, Colin, black people voting 93% Democrat over the last 50, 60 years, isn't that kind of a form of insanity too? Well, yeah, yeah you know what? I, I wouldn't really argue with that. But there are signs that even black people are getting a little bit saner. I'm not saying they're getting smarter, just saner about it. And that is kind of a good, a good example of that is jumping Joe Biden on CNN. I think it was Friday. Again, this was in the news, a lot in the news. Let's see if we can add a little bit to it. So there's jumping Joe on The Breakfast Club. This is the most popular black radio show in America it's all about white people suck. It's all about laughing at white people, joking at white people. And that's all it is. Every once in a while, they'll put on, they'll bring in, I mean, all the presidential candidates make their way through there. You know, 90% of them, they go in there and make themselves look foolish. And uh, they, they walk out thinking that they just did a really good job of getting down with the brothers. And the breakfast club is where Kamala Harris told the story of how she was smoking joints in college listening to Tupac, even though Tupac did not enter the music business till long after she was out of college. And so the latest person to go in there and tar start talking crazy to the fellas and lovely ladies is jumping Joe Biden. 
Let's listen to Jumpin' Joe talk about if you, if, if, if you vote for Trump, you ain't black. Phil thinks black women are such a loyal voting block, and black people saved your political life in the primaries this year. They have things they want from you, and one of them is a black woman running mate. What, what do you say to them? What I say to them is that I'm not acknowledging anybody who is being considered, but I guarantee you there are multiple black women being considered. Multiple. Well, you know, Thanks give so much. That's really our time. I apologize. You can't do that to black media. You I can't do that to white media and black media because my wife has to go on at six o'clock. Okay. Oh, uh oh, I'm in trouble. Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. It's I a, will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more okay. questions, but I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump. And you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump. It has to do with the fact I want something for my community. I would love to see. Take you a look at my record, man. I extended the voting racks 25 years. I have a record that is second to none. The NAACP has endorsed me every time I've run. The world, I mean, come on. Take a look at the record. Boy, Jumpin' Joe is, he's singing a different tune than he was in 1994. That, of course, was 25 years ago when he was on the floor of the Senate talking about a crime bill. And, you know, it's interesting to hear this one or two minute segment from Jumpin' Joe for two reasons. One, the stuff he says, the stuff said in 1994, stuff that would comfortably fit on this, on on my platform today. Very comfortable. I mean, I may, you know what? Maybe I got this stuff off of Biden. Here all this time, I thought I was getting it from Thomas Sowell, Larry Elder, uh, especially Jesse Lee Peterson, uh, Jared Taylor, Brimlow, Paul Kersey. No, maybe it all came from Biden. There's Biden talking about the causes and solutions of all this crime. He says he doesn't care. We just got to get people off the streets. Heavens to Betsy. I hope, God, am I turning into a Biden plagiarizer let's hear take back the streets it doesn't matter whether or not the person that is accosting your son or daughter or my son or daughter my wife your husband my mother your parents it doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth it doesn't matter or not whether or not they had no background that enabled them to have to uh, become a uh, uh, social uh, become socialized into the fabric of society. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my sons. So I don't want to ask what made them do this. They must be taken off the street. That's number one. There's a consensus on that. Unless we do something about that cadre of young people, tens of thousands of them, born out of wedlock, without parents, without supervision, without any structure, without any conscience developing, because they literally, I yield myself three more minutes, because they literally have not been socialized, they literally have not had an opportunity. We should focus on them now. If we don't, they will, or a portion of them will, become the predators 15 years from now. 
And Madam President, we have predators on our streets that society has in fact, in part because of its neglect, created. Again, it does not mean because we created them that we somehow forgive them or do not take them out of society to protect my family and yours from them. They are beyond the pale, many of those people. Beyond the pale. And it's a sad commentary on society. We have no choice but to take them out of society. And the truth is, we don't very well know how to rehabilitate them at that point. That's the sad truth. I'm the guy that said, rehabilitation, when it occurs, we don't understand it and notice it. And when we, even when we notice it and we know it occurs, we don't know why. So you cannot make rehabilitation a condition for release. That's why in our system, there's the federal system, you serve 85% of your time. It's a shame, but we don't know how to rehabilitate. But there is a consensus, and I will cease. A, we must make the streets safer. I don't care why someone is a malefactor in society. I don't care why someone is antisocial. I don't care why they've become a sociopath. We have an obligation to cordon them off from the rest of society, try to help them, try to change the behavior. That's what we do in this bill. We have drug treatment and we have other treatments to try to deal with it. But they are in jail. Away from my mother, your husband, our families. But we would be, being, we would be absolutely stupid as a society if we didn't recognize the condition that nurtured those folks still exist and we must deal with that so, so there's biden i mean that's kind of like you know the second interesting part of that clip from biden is how again i'm not saying this dude was a genius in 1994 but he was a lot more glib a lot more articulate he could put he could string thoughts together string sentences together without making a 100 percent idiot out of himself but, it, you know, it occurred to me that listening to Biden doing all the pandering down with the fellas just couldn't, you know, he couldn't throw enough black stuff at the fellas. I think, I think Biden and his whole career, when he does that, he's usually met, meets with a pretty receptive audience. I mean, white people, right? White reporters eat that up and black reporters, they eat it up too. They, they must know that on some level, the Biden as a senator or vice president was just pandering. But now all of a sudden, Biden does the, becomes the panderer in chief. Black people all over the country, even people who are still going to vote for him, kind of like the women part of the Me Too movement, and they go, hey, I don't care if he, Biden raped that Tara Reid chick. I'm still voting for him. I don't care. And so now we got all black people, a lot of black people all over the country gone. Did he just say that? Does Biden think he's that familiar with us that he can pretend he's one of us? No, we don't give Biden. We didn't give Biden the black card this week. He's just the guy running for president. And he thinks he can come in here and dictate to us who was black, who was not. And a lot of people really jumped on his stuff for that. But here it's a, but here's here's why I bring it up, is because I mean, between Biden and all the other Democrats and Trump over the last three and a half years. How much pandering have we seen white politicians do to black media and black people? I mean, when Trump was running for president, the most he got into on race relations was, hey, you guys have been voting Democrat your whole lives. Why not try us? Give it a chance. 
that at least convinced some may have convinced some people to sit home on the couch. I think the bigger factor in having the fellas sit at home on election day, even especially in the swing states, the, the big cities and the swing states, Philly, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, uh, Cleveland, Milwaukee, Detroit. I mean, I think that was really more of a reaction to black people basically saying, hey, we had the real thing in Barack Obama. We, won't, we don't want brand X anymore. We want the real thing. That's what Charlemagne was telling Biden. I don't think he was listening to him. I'm sorry, Charlemagne the God was telling Biden. I don't think Biden was listening to him. It, it looks like he's going to go out and pick some white chick. But for all the pandering like Trump did, did that do Trump any good? That's to me, is the biggest question of this election. Criminal justice reform, all the money to black colleges, lots and lots of other stuff, very explicitly directed at black people. And now we got a poll out just a couple days ago saying, yeah, Trump, he's only got 3% of the black vote. This is compared to 20, 30% people last year were saying, oh yeah, Trump's going to get 25, 30% of the black vote. I never bought into any of that. The jury's still out. We'll find out. But here's one thing we know. When we talk about the black vote deserting the Democratic Party, I mean, it's not just going to happen five months from now. Wouldn't we see some green shoots somewhere? Wouldn't we see some sign somewhere in some election, whether it's the governor of Georgia or this congressman or that special election? Wouldn't we see some sign that the fellas or Demons are deserting the party? I'm not talking about the talking heads. I'm talking about the people who actually vote and the voting results. But the biggest surprise to me during the Biden thing was Charla Charlemagne the God's reaction afterwards when he went on CNN to kind of give a blow-by-blow blow of what happened during the interview. He pretty much said, hey, we're, not, we're past that pandering stuff anymore. We just want to know not what you're trying to do, what you can do, what you're actually promising to do for black people, how much free stuff are you going to give us? And, and, and I mean, Trump, good Lord, Trump gave black people a lot of free stuff, tons of it. Let a lot of them out of prison, lots and lots of money to historic black colleges and universities. Did that matter to anybody? Did you ever heard a talking head on television refer to that? No, so, so that's my big question. Anyway, let's hear, let's hear, uh, Charlemagne the God talk about jumping Joe Biden and we're going to see how much he cares about whatever Trump tried to do and how how equally little he cares about Biden, the great white Boana coming in to save the black people on the breakfast club. Uh, my overall takeaway from the conversation was uh, I heard him, you know, talking about you know, things that he did for black people back in the day. But, you know, what, what have you done for me lately is my motto. 
You know, I see black communities all across America catching hell, regardless of who's in the White House. And, you know, people like to bring up coronavirus and how it's hitting black people the hardest. Well, that's because we have a bunch of underlying conditions created by systemic racism that have never been fixed. You know, and like I said before, if you created legislation that hurt, then you have to create legislation that helps. It's just that simple. Like the whole system needs to be dismantled and rebuilt. And he's been a very intricate part of that system. You know, whether you're talking about, you know, in 84 with the mandatory minimum sentences for drug dealers, are you talking about? 86 with the crack laws that gave you more time for crack cocaine and powder cocaine. Are you talking about the 94 crime bill? Like he was, you know, really one of the people on the front line when it came to the war on drugs and mass incarceration. So I think that, you know, if he wants to be president, he needs to fix that, fix that. He needs to really, really, you know, help the people that have helped Democrats all of these years. But my favorite moment during this latest example of manufactured outrage against some hapless hapless white dude who accidentally becomes too familiar with the fellas and the love ladies lovely ladies that came from Jamel Hill remember her she's now a staff writer at the Atlantic so Jamel Hill she had a nice gig on sports on ESPN she had a show with another guy they were getting paid a couple million dollars a year and all they had to do was basically look at some sports game that happened in the last 24 hours and then just pretend like they actually knew what was going on in the sport and how happy or unhappy they are with the result or the process of getting to that result in that sporting event and manufacture some outrage there. They could have kept that multi-million dollar a year gig going for a long time. Man, is Michael Jordan or LeBron James... Are they the greatest of all time? Who is the GOAT? And then, you know, you can just, I mean, you can talk about that topic every day on their show. That's how easy that gig was. But the way, but what happened was Jamel Hill and her host, you guys remember this was about a year or two ago. They turned everything into, into about race. They turned everything into Trump. So the score, the, the, the style of the show was something like, And the Lakers beat the Celtics by five points tonight, demonstrating conclusively that Donald Trump is a member of the Ku Klux Klan and he wants to kill all black people all the time, everywhere that explains everything. Then they talk about Trump for another 10... I mean, this was going on for a long time until finally the people at ESPN said, hey, can we get back to sports? And Jamel Hill and her co-hosts said, oh yeah, sure, sure, we'll talk about sports. They just ignored that 100%. And they got fired. They paid her like $6 million to walk out the door. But here's the weird thing. She ended up at a place, the Atlantic. If there's any place in America that has pretensions to being a a place for upscale, lily-white liberals, it's the Atlantic magazine. It's been around for 150 years. You know, it's usually doing some kind of social justice warrior thing mixed in with some Stump stuff with certain literary pretensions or aspirations. So there's Jamel Hill just going, taking her, taking her show from ESPN, transporting it whole hog to the Atlantic, where basically it's all about white racism again. And Trump's a racist, and this is a racist, and that's a racist. And of course, Jamel Hill. So she chimed in. To defend Biden, uh, Biden, and this comes from, I think, uh, Breitbart, 
Biden's comments were a truism, and she said she agrees you can't be black and vote for anyone other than Biden. Quote, the issue isn't, wasn't what Joe Biden said because it was accurate. The issue was that it came from Biden. It was also clearly a joke, but I'm wondering where all this outrage was yesterday when y'all president declared his public devotion to a Nazi sympathizer, she said. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, it's like, you think the you think the old Republicans are Nazi thing never you know would get old at some point? No, not at the Atlantic. I'm telling. Okay, maybe it's just a coincidence. But here's the story of the Atlantic, right? It was all these. Again, it was all this magazine was always kind of on the margin, and every time it was about to go under, some rich guy would come along and prop it up and buy it. And and, and rich guys they like doing that. They like their toys. Okay, some of them have more money. A lot of them have more money. Once you get over 20, 30, 50, 100 million dollars, it's like, man, I've got so much money here. I kind of like, I'm having a hard time figuring out how to spend it. So they do stuff like put 10, 20 million dollars into the Atlantic or buy the Atlantic, prop it up. But even rich people don't like losing money over a period of time. Even they don't like being taken for a ride by these liberals who are promising that, you know, the, oh, we're going to make a ton of money on here as soon as we just give us 18 months, which in the news business is basically 18 centuries. So three years ago, Steve Jobs' wife went in there and bought the Atlantic. First thing she says, oh, this is not a vanity project, but I'm going to dump a whole bunch of money in there. We're going to, they just went on a hiring spree. They set up this division, that division, video, meetings. They turned it into like a big thing. And recently, they just figured out nobody really cared about their thing because the Atlantic magazine is just a predictable, dull. It's a place where, you know, even even the readers don't want to get beat up all the time. And if you're a white liberal, you got Jamel Hill there saying, yeah, white liberals really suck because you're all, all white people are racist. Even There's even a limit to how much white liberals want to get beat up by black people for being racist, even though every liberal in America is convinced. I actually heard Biden say something like this once. 1973. Every liberal is convinced that every white person in America is a very, very bad racist person, except for them. Yeah, liberals believe everybody's a racist, even liberals, especially liberals, except for me. And so there's Jamel Hill writing for The Atlantic all of a sudden over the weekend, almost to the minute, you know, they go, well, we're going to lay off 20% of our people. We're going to fire 22 reporters and editors. And don't worry, though, we're not you know, giving up. This is a great magazine and we're going to keep going on and on and on. Okay. If you're going to keep doing the Jamel Hill defending Joe Biden, you think there's a, you think there's a market for that? You think there's a market for this predictable, bland, sp stupid stuff that she pr pumps out? I mean, that's all the Atlantic does, whether it's Jamel Hill or lots of other people. It's like, come on, so you, 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 you can't do anything to surprise us even a little bit. So Steve Jobs' wife pulled the plug on a good chunk of that. And when you pull the plug on 20%, that's a message which is, hey, my patience with this is over. You guys either start figuring out how to write stories that are interesting 
And don't try to convince me they're interesting. Show me they're interesting because we know, like, we'll know the readership. You guys either start doing that or guess what? I'm just going to take, we're going to shut this puppy down and I'll take my money and go put it in a save the whale fund somewhere. So sorry, Jamel Heal. Sorry about your little gig at Atlantic. I don't know if she's one of the ones who got the hook or not. Probably not. But the underpinning, whether it's Jamel Hill writing about Biden or the Brunswick jogger or everything, the under the underlying the underlying premise of all of this, as anybody who spent five minutes on this platform knows, is perpetuating the greatest lie of our generation. Black people are relentless victims of white racism all the time, everywhere. That explains everything. But yet, how do we reconcile that? This relentless victimization, this relentless white evil directed at black people when we open the newspapers and if we know how to read them, if we know how to read below them, if we know how to dig deeper, if we know how to connect the dots, then we see that the level of black dysfunction, crime, violence, mayhem is just off the charts. I mean, over the last couple of weeks, I just realized the other day, man, we've done, we've done, a, we've done at least a dozen stories in the last couple of weeks about large-scale episodes of black mob violence during the corona epi during the corona pandemic these are all because of you know, you know maybe people are having a big party everybody squeezed into a house breathing on each other touching each other exchanging bodily fluids whether it's just sweat or 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 carbon dioxide and oxygen or something else who knows now, all of a sudden, we look in the pit. Well, we're going to hear that in a minute. We're going to hear one more case, one more public figure trying to figure out why black people are getting sick more often than white people when they're out in the streets violating even the simplest, most basic, most common sense rule of public health that would help you kind of stay away from this virus. There's just been a ton of them lately. And every one... Every one of these stories we're about to hear, again, it just puts a lie to the great lie that we keep hearing that black people are somehow victims. And so every, everybody knows on this channel what we do is we go, man, if white people are acting the fool like these fellas are in this first story up in Boston, man, please show me because there's a lot of white people in Boston I've never seen a story about a white riot in Boston, have you? It is Boston police officers investigated a deadly shooting. Police made four arrests at the scene, but none of the arrests was for that actual shooting. WBZ's Anna Myler has the story. The police commissioner called this a hectic scene. He says two men were shot here in Jamaica Plain overnight right outside of this housing development. He also says that the situation became hostile and police had to call for backup. It was a chaotic night on Center Street in Jamaica Plain. Police say two men in their 20s were shot. One of them did not survive. I feel sorry for their families. I feel sorry for them, whoever got shot and killed. When officers responded around 10 p.m., they found a man with a gun. The officers recovered that firearm, and during the apprehension of that suspect, we covered two additional firearms. While officers were helping the victims, police say a second suspect took off. And that's when things got even more tense. The officers were met with great hostilities from 
a hostile crowd. In fact, while the officers were chasing the second armed gunman, one of the individuals tried to engage the officer by tripping him. Lakeisha Merritt says she heard the commotion. I just heard a lot of yelling and screaming going on. Commissioner Gross says officers were forced to call for help. We had to deploy our emergency deployment teams from throughout the city to come and render assistance to the responding officers that were just trying to help victims of a crime. Merritt says she hasn't felt safe living here for a long time and she's trying to move. I just got to get out of here. I mean, it's crazy around here. Same night. Let's go over to Rochester, New York. Fights break out when nearly 300 people gathered in the streets for a party. They were in a house. They went outside. And as we and as we see, probably see this on video five times a month, when a large group of black people get together and they start shooting each other, some activists will come out there and go, hey, this is bound to happen when you put a large bunch of fellas in the same place. I mean, they're just going to get together and that's what young fellas do. They shoot each other as if that's just a natural thing that none of us are really smart enough to be able to, to grok, to understand. Good morning. I'm Raven Brown. We're following breaking news overnight after Rochester police made two arrests while breaking up a large fight in the city. Our crew got this video from Remington Street. Police say they first responded to the area of Boston Street and Joseph Avenue for a scene of nearly 300 people. Officers found one woman in the crowd with a handgun. She was charged with criminal possession of a weapon. Another woman was arrested for disorderly conduct. Officers say they believe the crowd was gathered for a party. That's Rochester. So much bad business in Rochester, New York. Lilac Festival. Anybody remember it? We get a ton of stories out of Rochester. Oh, here's a story out of Waterloo, Iowa. Large fight broke outside of a Broadway street corner. Saturday night. Almost 100 fellas in the street. Shooting at each other. Fighting each other. Defying police. That's in Waterloo, Iowa. Iowa. Okay, why don't we go up to uh, Elmira, New York. And all these, all these little cities up in upstate New York, I think of Elmira and Utica and Syracuse. It's not really that small of a city. A lot of bad business in all of these towns. And most of the time, they kind of keep it under, you know, most of the times people up there don't make a big deal about it. They're just used to it. They, they just accept black crime violence on epic scale as just part of living in Elmira. So you just stay away if you can. But sometimes the stuff gets so big and so bad, so dangerous, sometimes it slips into the local paper. Here's a story. Elmira police investigate large fight in Grove Park where they recover a handgun. Same as the story before. Large group of black people partying down. Cops show up. All of a sudden, violence ensues. Exact same people out of Utica. Here's the headline. Five people arrested following large fight on Lenox Avenue in Utica, New York. Police responded to a disorderly house party, party that was spilling out on the road with fighting and threats of weapons. You ever single one of these things where the cops show up? There are threats, if not actual violence, directed at the cops. Just like this story out of, out of Flint. And these are all, these are all, everything I'm telling you is in the last day or two. This one's dated May the 22nd, Friday, May 22nd. So I think it must have happened Thursday night. 
criminal charges sought against teenagers after a large fight at a Flint gas station. So the fellas and lovely ladies decided they were going to gather at a gas station to take care of some ancient grudge of one kind or another. So they're you know, having a large fight, a large riot. At this gas station, cops show up. And when the cops try to break it up, the lovely ladies attack the cops, punching and biting and scratching the cops. Oh yeah, they were biting the cops in Flint, Michigan. Anybody who thinks this is not a regular part of life in Flint, please raise your hand right now. Okay, here's the story. I, got, I must have gotten 10 of these from St. Louis. Because over the weekend in St. Louis, in one night, I mean, it got so bad, even the people in St. Louis were surprised how bad it was. 17 people shot in one 12-hour 12 hour period in St. Louis, including a mass shooting or two. A violent night in St. Louis, with St. Louis police responding to nearly a dozen shootings in the city since 9 p.m. According to police, there were at least 15 gunshot victims. Four of those victims unfortunately died, including a juvenile who was killed by an acquaintance playing with a gun. That happened on Evans Avenue around 9.30 last night. We don't know how old that person was. And one of the other shooting deaths happened on Cope Brilliant near Union just after 9 p.m. Homicide detectives investigating a report of two men being shot. One in his 30s died at the scene. A teen was shot in the foot and is recovering in the hospital. And at around 1 a.m., four gunshot victims went to the hospital saying they were also shot in this area. Police have not released any additional information. Even by St. Louis standards, that's a little eye-opening. Remember, St. Louis, of course, is the place where you've got this George Soros district attorney goes around telling everybody black people are victims of relentless white racism. you got a city council full of those types. you got a mayor just like that. All of a sudden, black people in St. Louis have it figured out. They can go out there and cause all sorts of violence and mayhem, even when they're supposed to be behind locked doors during this quarantine doesn't matter. You can go out and have 17 shootings in one night. And does anybody in St. Louis standing up going, wow, I'm really surprised that our town has descended into this. No, everybody in St. Louis is looking at each other and going, yeah, this is our normal now. St. Louis, the gateway to the West. Meet me in St. Louis, a movie with Judy Garland talking about what a great place St. Louis is, was. Maybe it used to be. It used to be kind of, you know, when I think of St. Louis, I think of player pianos, checkered tablecloths, picnic baskets with buttermilk and fried chicken underneath the tree down by the stream. That's not what people are thinking of St. Louis anymore. And so, so we go from episodes of large-scale black mob violence, easy to find, so easy to find. I left out a bunch. Again, we show these things, we're just... We're just showing them to you for the, so we can just put the lie to this narrative once and for all that black people are victims of white racism. And we have to, sh this shows that it's the other way around. Here's a story out of Nashville, just a couple days old. White cop, plain clothes. He's just out at night, nine o'clock at night, walking his dog. I had an image of it was kind of a, one of these small dogs, you know? Anyway, people are out walking their dog, sees a fella coming the other way, 
gives him one of these, hey, what's up? Fella goes, man, eh, grumble, grumble. Fella walks past, a couple steps past him, takes a gun out, shoots the, the cop. We don't know if anybody knew this guy was a cop or not. We don't know why he got shot. There doesn't have to be a reason, does there? Fella turns around, shoots that cop in the back, and that sounds like this. Good morning, Neil. Well, the officer was off duty last night, just after nine o'clock, walking his dog when he was shot in the shoulder. And we just got some more information from Metro Police about exactly what happened here. He was walking his dog near the intersection of Pine Valley Road near Bull Run Road in western Davidson County near the Cheatham County line. Here is video from that area. The officer says he passed a man he did not know. They said hello, and just as they passed each other, the suspect shot him in the back of the shoulder. The officer fell to the ground, then the, then the suspect fired another shot, which hit the ground and missed the officer. The officer got up and ran. The gunman got into a car at a nearby church and drove away. This is the officer identified by Metro Police. He's 57-year-old Daryl Osmond. He's a 13-year veteran of the department. Osmond currently is assigned to the property and evidence facility with Metro Police. And right now we know he is in stable condition recovering here at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Any updates we do get on his condition, we'll be sure to pass along to you here on air and online, WKRN.com. Reporting live in Nashville, Julia Palazzo, News 2. Thank you, Julia. And our team coverage this morning continues with Nikkel Smith. She is live along I-440 with a look at how this all ended. Yeah, Nikki, we're here right near Nolansville Pike, and it's still an active scene at this hour. You can still see Metro Police officers have the eastbound lanes on I-440 uh, sectioned off with crime scene tape right now, and both sides of the interstate are still closed as officers are continuing to work the scene. Now, there were more police cars out here earlier when this all started to unfold, and when this chase ended, I want to give you a look at that video. Metro Police say around 9:17 last night, an officer spotted the suspect's vehicle, a gray Ford Flex on Hyde's Ferry Road. An MNPD helicopter then joined in to watch this chase unfold from the air. The vehicle then traveled through North Nashville and the suspect shot at an officer who tried to stop him with spike strips. A spike strip was eventually used to stop him on 440 East right here near Nolansville. In Metro Police say the driver's side door opened and they heard gunshots and returned fire. Why don't we head down to Atlanta? Because this is a weird story, and if you just read it once, it's really weird, but if you read the story two, three, four times, then you can kind of figure out maybe what exactly happened here. There's a guy named Raj. He was an attorney in Cobb County. He was an attorney for the court system. He actually worked in the courts. So he would be an attorney for these kind of middle to low level judges. 29-year-old guy. Somehow, Raj ends up taking, giving a guy a ride down to... Atlanta. The guy's name is Scott. We're not even sure how, they, how those two hooked up. They arrived at this lady's house at 6 a.m. Did the guy kidnap Raj? I mean, the guy, Raj was a member of the court system. Did the, did the fella meet Raj there somehow? Did they bond there? Or was this, I mean, Raj also, I mean, the guy's a lawyer. He's also out driving for Uber Eats, making extra money that way. So people are wondering if maybe while Raj was out in his second job, whether the fella came across him, kidnapped him, and took him, got him to give him a ride down to his old girlfriend's house. That's what his family says. He said they say it was a kidnapping. Anyway, they get down there, and Raj figures out this guy has a gun and he's going in to do some bad business in this house 
I think he figured out it was the guy. It was a woman in there with some kids. Raj tries to stop him. He gets killed. Fella goes in. There's a standoff. The kids run away, and uh, you know, so the fella's in jail. And now everybody's trying to figure out, like, what happened to Raj? Raj was like, some people say he died a hero, trying to save that woman. Other people say, it didn't surprise me. That's the way he was in our court, always trying to help people. You know, it doesn't matter if you're in a courthouse or in any other work environment. There are some people that are into what they do, and they're always trying to, like, make things go smoother. They're not trying to create little centers of drama around themselves. No, they're trying to shed the drama. They're just trying to move forward, keep the work going, ignore the little you know, thousand little things that people at work can get pissed off about around the water cooler. And Raj was one of those people. Just kept his nose down and tried to do a good job in the court system. Next thing you know, a fella's shooting him dead because the fella wanted to go in there and take care of business with his old girlfriend. We might as well go back to Biloxi. This happened, what, a month or so ago, but it just has been the news again. The fellas and lovely ladies, they decide they're going to kill a white girl. Think they knew her. Who knows why they killed her? Why'd that guy shoot that cop in the back? I don't know. It's like Joe Biden said earlier. 
I don't care. Five teens are facing capital murder charges in Biloxi for shooting and killing a young woman during a robbery. Those teens all between 15 and 17 years old. Police say they robbed a girl under the age of 18 at gunpoint and the victim was shot and killed after a fight. Bond is set for four of the suspects at $1 million. 15-year-old Jarvis Cook was not granted bond because he was out on bond at the time for a previous aggravated assault. When you go to prison, if you want to write your life story and publish it on Amazon, go ahead. You can give me all your reasons. I probably won't read it, but if anybody curious about your reasons for doing all this stuff, yeah, we can learn it then. I guarantee you that whatever you say is not something we haven't already heard and discredited around here a million times. That doesn't stop people, though. It's like, man, I grew up in a tough neighborhood. That means I had to go out and kill that white girl, that 16-year-old white girl. I didn't like the way she was looking at me. I didn't like what she was thinking. I didn't like what she said. I didn't like the way she disrespected me and my crew. That's why we had to kill her. Now can I get out? Again, that the pandemic is affecting the black community at a much higher rate. The governor put together a minority task force to look at the issue. And as News 5's Amanda Van Allen tells us now, their preliminary result are in. The data and history is clear. Black people are being diagnosed with the coronavirus more than their white counterparts, just as they have so many other diseases. Now, health disparities did not occur overnight. They are complex and present complex challenges. The current coronavirus pandemic has brought into high contrast these troubling issues. Governor Mike DeWine spent most of today's news conference addressing those disparities, then talked about what we need to do now. To truly change things, we must address the social conditions that drive 70% of our health outcomes. Things such as healthcare access. Healthcare access, so very, very important. Education, so very important. As well as housing, transportation, employment, availability of nutritious food. Gathering and using data is key to understanding the problem, and it's also key to finding the solutions. The governor started a minority strike task force last month, made up of 41 leaders across our state with ties to minority communities. They were tasked with helping to work towards a solution. In their preliminary report that should come out today, they recommend more pointed messaging about the pandemic geared directly to African Americans. They want more testing to be available in those communities. Of course, access to those tests and a good health care option and a collaboration between their agencies and others. You cannot talk about messaging, testing, accessibility, or collaboration without dollars. So data drives dollars. Ivanka Hall is the executive director of the Northeast Ohio Black Health Coalition. She's not on the strike force, but has been in touch with some of its members who she speaks of highly. She says DeWine's proposed budget cuts to education and Medicaid contradict today's message. So unless he had an aha moment, um, in the last, you know, 48 hours when they released this report to him. But the things that he said two weeks ago ran contrary to anything that was said today. Um, and so what I would hope is that today holds true. We have an obligation to act. We have an obligation to do something. These truly are, when we're dealing with health, these truly are life and death issues. 67 thousand inmates out of jail because of the corona virus 
All over the country now, people are doing stories. Philly, Jacksonville, Houston, that's just the last 72 hours. New York, other places. Newspapers go, hey, man, I thought we were supposed to be on lockdown. Where, where is all this spike in crime coming from? I'm not talking about an uptick, talking about a spike. Violent crime, crimes against property. Oh, man, everybody leaving these stores. Everybody staying home, leaving their stores locked up. Wow. That's just like, man, that's just like putting a big fat pork chop underneath like a box in your house and seeing if your dog can find it. A dog's going to find that pork chop every single time and he's going to get the pork chop no matter what you do. So please don't be surprised when your dog gets the pork chop. Don't be surprised when crime violence in the hood in and around the hood go up because there's such tempting and easy targets there. You know, I've been getting a lot of letters lately. I always get letters. I pro I, I'm just going to start reading them once in a while. Here's just a letter from uh, about a, a guy, a white guy's experience in Iowa. Hey, Colin, love your work. Colin, I've been listening to you for a long time, back when you were on Facebook still. That's where I found you. I loved your unapologetic facts about the fellas that are spot on. Short story, I'm from Fort Dodge, Iowa. I was thrilled when I heard you cover a story there shortly before you went to the hospital for a short time. Right before I left Iowa for Oregon to get away from the growing racism and the dirty Dodge mentality that went along with it. I had large rocks thrown at my father and me as we walked a few blocks from my house down to the family dollar store. As we left the family dollar store, there were about six or more young fellas, ages 7 to 13, basically like a small mob of young fellas testing the waters to see what they can get away with while they are bored. Boy, it's just amazing. No matter how big of a fan people are on this page, it's just amazing how eager some people are to like to explain some of this away. Well, they were bored. Ever listen to Jesse Lee Peterson? You know what he calls it? Yeah, Jack Kerouac and I were talking about this in admiration. Jesse Lee Peterson, he doesn't look at that and say, oh, the young men were bored. No, he looks at it and calls it what it is. He says that's evil. As we walked, increasing our pace for the opposite curve, we heard and saw large baseball-sized rocks hit the curb next to us. And so we escaped, trying to show no fear that they wouldn't chase us as we walked home. The next poor people they start throwing stuff at might not be as lucky as we were. They missed us. This was the first time in my life I had a serious thought about carrying protection to scare them off. Next time we go for a walk while the sun is setting. Keep up the good work, Colin. Hope to see you if you ever get out to Oregon. Depends where you go in Oregon. If you go to the east side of Oregon, you're in pretty good shape. If you go to the near the coast, where the white liberals have decided that the fellas are permanent victims of white racism, that's a whole different story. It's easy to find a sketchy place to live where white people are victims of black violence, mayhem, chaos. And the police are curiously disinterested because they know once they start locking black people up for all the crime that takes place 
in Seattle, Washington. Once they start talking about the long history of black-on-white violence in Seattle, Washington, that they only talk about in whispers now. They know once that starts happening, they know the black kids are going to get angry. <laughs> 